Morning, church. Miles mic'd me up this morning and gave me a cordless mic. I think he was a little nervous I was going to go Southern Baptist on y'all. But <laughs> not going to do that this morning. At least that's not the plan. Um, it's been some years since I stood in this capacity. I just, and uh, as I said before, never am I up here and I'm not terrified. Not because I'm afraid of you guys, you guys are family. Uh, not because I think that I'm gonna mess up, I just can't. Uh, I'd rather die before I got in the way of God's word. So that's what I'll do. That's what I'll do right now. So if you bow your heads and pray with me. Most gracious God, our Father, we humbly come before you, Master. We thank you and we bless your name, O oh God. Because you, God, if no one else is, you, God, are worthy. God, as I stated, I'd rather die than get in, in between your word, God. So I die to myself right now in the name of Jesus. God, hide me behind the cross. Let there be less and less of me and more and more of you until there is none of me and all of you, God. Break open your word and reveal your mystery to us, O oh God, so that we can become closer to you in a way that we never had before. And God, in all these things, we glorify you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, for those who, who, who know me, I, I love God's word. I love God's word because it's infallible, right? I, when I think about God's word and when I think about how it was created, you know, 66 books of the Bible, 1,189 different chapters written by more than 35 authors over 1,500 years. And they seem to speak to each other and us at the same time. And so, um, There's synergy in God's word. And so that's what we'll do today. We'll kind of bounce around, look at God's word, look at the scripture, um, and see what he has for us today. Amen? Amen? My wife looked at me this morning. She said, you're going to be amazing because God is with you as long as you ain't too long. So. Uh, so I promise I won't be in front of you too long, but we're going to dive in. So, you know, we're, we're, we're having a conversation about Jesus in action. And today I've been tasked to speak to John 4. And so we're going to go through the majority of the chapter. But we're going to pay close attention to verses 21 to the end of the chapter. All right. Now, go to this. All right. Yes. <laughs> Marisa prettified my PowerPoint. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that 
he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Maurice, let's do this. Let's skip past. Go again. to the map, to the verse right before you get to the map. All right. So, right there. Now the verse says, now he had to go through Samaria. Now go to the map. If you look, at the map, Judea is here, Galilee is here, Samaria is in the middle, right? And I don't know about you guys, but the most direct route would be straight through Samaria. However, the Jews didn't ordinarily go through Samaria. Give me the next slide. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me some drink? Give me a drink. His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Why is that important? This is laying the foundation to the story in its entirety. Next slide. So I always like, if you're going to tell a story, it's best to start from the beginning, right? So it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria, which would make sense, because ordinarily, though, the Jews don't go through Samaria. But I submit to you that Jesus had a divine appointment, which is why he had to go through Samaria. He didn't take the traditional route where they normally go around and then up to Galilee. It's not happenstance. It's not accidental. Jesus would use this, this encounter to shift the very thinking of the age and ages to come. So I have pictures here of the first temple. As you can see, brilliant. Now, the first temple was built as an abode for the Ark of the Covenant and as a place of assembly for the entire people. The building itself, therefore, was not large, but the courtyard was extensive. The temple building faced eastward. It was oblong and consisted of three rooms of equal width, the porch or the vestibule, the main room of, or, uh, for religious services, the holy place, and then the holy of holies a sacred room in which the ark rested, or storehouse surrounded by the, surrounded the temple except for the front and the east. 
The building was made of white marble and inside was covered with gold. The door was overlaid with gold and there was gold on the roof spires. Josephus said that in the middle of the day, you could barely look at it because how brilliantly it looked when the sun shined on it. So, Israel took a lot of time in creating where it would worship. So the Ark of the Covenant, David chose Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is the place where Abraham offered Isaac to be sacrificed. You know the story. Then his son Solomon began and constructed the temple in 957 BC. Josiah uh, established that this would be the place of worship for all of Jerusalem, this place. Before, there were satellites all over, but he was like, nope, this is the place. Now, these pictures aren't exactly accurate, but I wanted you to get an idea, because, well, you know, they didn't have iPhone 14s to show you this. <laughs> But I wanted to give you an idea of the type of investment that was made in the place of worship. Next slide. Then, you guys know the story of Israel, right? They, they would do what God says, and they'd be okay, then they'd fall away, and then he would let people overtake them. And so uh, the Babylonians raided the temple in 604. This is about 300 years and some change later. And the temple was completely destroyed in 582 BC. Then the temple was rebuilt. And then guess what? Three years later, it was destroyed again. Pause there, though, because this is not on the slide. After the Babylonian exile, they returned, and they returned to this place for worship. Okay, then in 538, it was destroyed. Uh, 169 to 167 BC, it was plundered and desecrated again. They rebuilt it in 37 BC, and it took 46 years to build. Now, y'all thought 94 took a while to finish downtown. 46 years to build. Now, if it, was, if it started in... 37 BC, and it took 46 years. That means it was finished around 4 BC. So it was finished at or around the time of the arrival of Christ. So this is not a thing long, long in the past. This is something that they are experiencing right now when Jesus is having the conversation with the Samaritan woman. So why is this a big deal? Next slide. Now, as the Israelites were dividing the promised land, the region of Samaria was given to the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. So those are the Samaritans. They are, well, they are Israelites, we'll say it like that. Right? So uh, I'll get to that in a second. I'm laughing at what I'm saying. Samaritans. So when they returned from the Babylonian exile, the Samaritans said that the temple should be on Mount Gerizim. Now, where did the rest of the tribe said? Jerusalem, the same place it's always been, right? 
And so the Jews fell out so bad that the Samaritans aren't even considered Jews anymore. Anybody got some cousins they fell out with? You know them folk you don't talk to no more? Like they, they still browns, but they don't, we don't really. Because where to worship was a thing. Because think about it. Sacrifices, worship, they occurred on mountains, right? We just talked about um, Abraham and Isaac. He could have sacrificed Isaac outside his front door. No, but he traveled up Mount Moriah for the sacrifice. Um, the Temple of Jerusalem was built on Mount Moriah. Even the Samaritan Temple that they talked about was built on Mount Gerizim. Can someone else tell me of another sacrifice that was important, that was on a mountain? Calvary, the penultimate sacrifice, occurred on a mountain. So where you worship up until this very moment was important. It wasn't something you did by happenstance. It wasn't something that you casually did. You had to be intentional, and you had to travel. This was a thing. So let's, let's go back to the slide. Next slide, please. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and, we'd have, and he would have given you living water. Sir, you ain't got nothing to draw the water with. What? I know that ain't what it says. That's, as Mike says, that's the, that's the Carrie Brown commentator. <laughs> then she asked, are you greater than Jacob, who gave us this well himself, and also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus responded, everyone who drinks this water be thirsty again. Next slide. But whoever drinks the water uh, that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up of eternal life. The woman said, sir, give me this water because I don't want to be thirsty anymore. I got to come all the way up here just to get some water. This is where Jesus is like, hmm, let me, let me show her who I really am. <laughs> Go back and call your husband. She says, I have no husband. Jesus said, I know this ain't up there, but you got that right. Not only do you not have a husband, you've had five husbands, and the dude you with right now, you ain't even married to. <laughs> she responded, you got me, you got me, you got me. I can see that you are a prophet. Next slide. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews, now, again, differentiating herself. You Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus replied, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come 
when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshiper the Father seek. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So this is where I, I kind of want to marinate for a second. Jesus recognizes the duality of man. The man is both spirit and physical. Even the order that he listed, spirit first, is paramount to this time. The people of God were so focused at this time on the law as it relates to their worship that they began to minimize the God the law was intended to serve. Even the word truth during this time had a deeper meaning. So the word truth in Hebrew means firmness and or faithfulness. The origin of the word ameth is aman, which means to believe. Truth in this context can't have one without the other. Truth in this context is the firmness or faithfulness birthed out of belief. Behavior without belief is completely vain in God's sight. So the origin of the state is important. Jesus remembers running from the Pharisees. I'm not going to say running because Jesus ran from no man, but Jesus decided to leave this area because he often said, my time has not come yet. So he was leaving Judea because the Pharisees are annoyed. It's not happenstance that Jesus is speaking directly against what the Pharisees do more than anything else. They abide the law without any belief. Can't have one without the other. Jesus During this time, the Jews began following rules and regulations that are far removed from the origin of the thing that created the rules and regulations, which was their exodus out of Egypt. So imagine, remember the timeline I showed you. Even in the time of David and Solomon, that was 957 BC. We are now at 4 AD when the last temple was completed. That's almost a thousand years. So they have been practicing the law, practicing the law, practicing the law. Anybody, anybody tried to read the Bible from beginning to end? Anybody get stuck? I'm not a gambling man, but if I was to gamble, you got stuck in Leviticus. Oh, oh. It's so much. It's so much. I'd be on the train trying to read. My eyes would cross. I'm like, it's so much. I mean, like, I can't eat fish with scales. I can't do this. I can't do that. I mean, and so this is just, again, the K. Brown commentary. I kind of feel like there were so many rules because God wanted you to understand that to do it through just your acts, it's going to take a lot. It's going to take a lot. But what happened is, over centuries, it became diluted. You're just doing the same thing over and over again. 
Y'all don't do that, right? I know y'all just, everything has that deep, profound meaning. When you say grace, you mean every word you say. Oh, God, our Father in heaven. You know, we, we do the same thing. Sometimes we say grace. I, I remember last night. Lord, forgive me. I was saying grace. I got, a, I got two Dobermans, right? And I was saying grace, and my younger Doberman, I love him. He's the best, worst dog ever. So I'm saying grace watching him to make sure he don't get my plate. <laughs> Real talk. But I mean, it's just I'm, I'm going through the motions. I'm, Lord, thank you for this food I'm about to receive. Bless this food. Sanctify this food in my name of Jesus. I say it. With, but you can't just have vain repetition without the belief to support. And this is what Jesus is saying. So let me tie it in. So Jesus is having a conversation about worship in a place of worship. He provides a revelation of the transformation of worship through the tearing of the veil, a separation between God and man created by the first Adam through sin and restored by the second Adam, Jesus. Remember, you know, in, in Genesis, God used to walk with, with man through the cool of the day. And, the, and, and, and because of sin, there was a separation. So death in Genesis doesn't mean that they were going to die instantly. It means you are separated from God. And all this stuff, all these rules and regulations was God's attempt to show man that this is the separation. Give me, give me the next slide. Everyone's familiar with this passage, Romans 12. Yeah. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Next slide. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice. We, I, I alluded earlier to um, Abraham's intention to sacrifice Isaac. And I said oftentimes you have to go back to the beginning. So we're going to go to Genesis 22nd chapter 9 through 11 verse. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram. You know the rest. Now, to, you, to the theologians in the house, that should be slightly confusing. 
Because it says, now I know. But God is omnipotent. Doesn't he know everything? How is it that he's saying, now I know? Because there are some things that God does not know. God doesn't know how to sin. He just can't. It's completely against his nature. There are some things that God can't do. God can't lie by his very being because he's God. So the moment he says it, if it wasn't, now it is. The other thing that God can't do is experience something. No, the only thing that God doesn't know is something he hasn't experienced yet. So, God needed the experience of seeing Abraham choose God over his son Isaac for it to be real to God. He knew he, he, knew he was going to do it, but he wanted to feel it. He wanted to experience Abraham. Giving. Now, you got to remember the story. This is Isaac. Abraham waited 90 plus years for Isaac. This was a test beyond test. God wanted to experience that type of love because that's something he hadn't experienced from Abraham yet. Next slide. Do it again. Give God the experience of your worship. L let me ask you a question. Uh, you know, Genesis, first chapter, 26 verse, and God said, Elohim, God said, the triune master creator of the universe said, let us make man in our image. So, how many fingers and toes does God have? None. I just told you earlier. It's a trick question. <laughs> told you earlier that God is a spirit. He doesn't have fingers and toes. So what does it mean to be made in God's image? It means that you operate the way God operates. Does God get angry? Do you get angry? You look just like your daddy. Does God get jealous? Does God get jealous? Do you get jealous? Yeah, because you act just like your daddy, right? Now, I, uh, I asked myself this question, and it was one of the most convicting questions I had ever asked myself. Imagine your experience as God in a relationship with you. How would you feel? We know that he feels, right? If you were God, how would you feel about experiencing your relationship with you. You have an opportunity through your worship to make God feel something. 
You have an opportunity with your worship to move the very heart of the master and creator of the universe. Also, there's more to it. I didn't put this in the slide, so turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 3. And we're going to start with verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for, for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church, who's the church? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in Chicago. Is that what it says? No. In heavenly places. You were created to teach angels and demons stuff about God. Mm. You were created to teach the devil himself stuff he didn't know about God through your relationship with God. We just have to evolve beyond religion to relationship. You don't believe me? When the enemy messed up, what happened? He was cast out of heaven. He knew God's justice. You know God's grace. So that was the major failure in the devil's plan. He was like, if I could get him to the grave, I got it. Right? Why? Because all he had seen was God's justice. That's what he experienced. Right? We sing songs like Hallelujah, Salvation, and Glory, Revelations 19. When you get to glory, you can sing that song. Before you were created, the angels couldn't sing that song. You know why? Salvation. When the Bible says, sing a new song, these are songs that your life are created that have never existed before. That's something to be excited about. I done got off track. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but the reason why the devil's scheme failed it's because he didn't take into consideration God's grace. He didn't take into consideration just the depths of his love, right? And so now, and I'm, I'm, I'm coming to a close, and I promise I'm coming to a close. I ain't going to preach for another 45 minutes. Um, 
when we sing songs like holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, when we sing songs, glory to the Lamb, all of heaven's going to join in. But what I'm most excited about is that I get to look at Jesus. I'll bow before him. I'll press my tear-soaked lips against his nail-scorned hands. And I can sing songs about how he brought me over. I can sing songs about he made a way. I can sing songs about my personal experience in this life that the angels can never sing. And so as we prepare our hearts for communion, move from religion to relationship. God is not a thing. He desires a personal connection to you. And it was so important that he provided the penultimate sacrifice, his son. As we prepare our hearts for worship and for communion, don't let this be a thing that you just do. Many of us miss golden, treasured opportunities to connect with God in meaningful ways. I, I actually said I wasn't going to say this, but um, I was gone for most of, most of the month of December. My mom was in ICU on life support. Twice. <laughs> um, I had four doctors um, prepare me for the worst. Four different doctors. Still remember their names. Well, one name I couldn't pronounce, but still remember their names. It changed the way I talked to God. It changed my connection to God because at that point, I didn't have time for these frail, empty prayers. I needed the God that raised the dead. I needed the God that made a way out of nowhere. Let us bow our heads. Most gracious God, our Father, we humbly come before you, Master. We thank you, and God, we bless your name. You are everything the Bible ever says you are, and then some. God, I know that there is a Mark, Matthew, Luke, John. There is a First Peter, Second Peter. But, oh God, I'm so glad you just... You didn't stop there. That there's a first and second Kerry Brown and a, and a first and second Rachel Brown and 
Joyce Brown and Reuben and Mike London. You reveal yourself, yourself to, to us daily, oh God. And God, we never want to take you for granted. God, we are in awe of you. God, help us to love you the way you deserve. That you want to connect with us in a special way. Not just through rituals and religion, that you want to feel us. And you just don't do it, you give us some back. God, thank you for our presence in our life. And God, as we break this bread and we drink of the cup, oh God, never let us forget, never, ever let us forget just how far you would go to show us that you love us. And God, help us every day of our lives die trying to love, to love you back. God, we thank you and we bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. To God be the glory.